This is yet another episode of Tuesday Memo. I'm Eric Fruits. I also podcast at Econ Minute. I'm a local economist here in Portland, Oregon, so check out Econ Minute. Check out Tuesday Memo. Uh, and uh, hire me if you're looking for an expert witness. <laughs> Is this plug week? Is it's plug a- week. It's plug week on OPB, so it's plug week here. <laughs> so I'm Ann Sanderson, and I'm going to plug my businesses. I'm a hair salon owner in Woodstock. I own Odango Hair Studio, and I also have a company called Photosnap, F-O-T-O-S-N-A-P dot C-O, because we need to take pictures that are not from cameras attached to the ends of sticks. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a selfie stick. Say goodbye to the selfie. So we were talking about our theme. I think our theme this week is good week, bad week. Some people had a good week. Some people had a bad week. Who had a bad week? Poor Charlie had a bad week. Oh, Charlie. Charlie Hales uh, had a really bad week. He wakes up Wednesday morning and he gets blindsided by having three of the four living mayors of Portland endorsing his opponent. Oh, no. And we have to remember that I think he served on city council with at least... One of those mayors. Yes. And what were the Maybe reasons? Maybe two. What were the reasons for... Uh... What were the reasons? I don't know. Did you look? I didn't see <laughs> I what the did, reasons were. I did look at... And, and they were just saying that uh, Wheeler was going to be a strong mayor. They were they were endorsing Wheeler as opposed to, you know, blatantly saying, you know, sorry, Charlie. But It sure is early to come out with an endorsement. That's like, just because someone's nice. Yeah. Right? Well, they like Ted. They must like him a lot. <laughs> well, you know that was it was a strange, it was an interesting day because um, I happened to swing by Ted Wheeler's launch party. He had his launch party on Wednesday, which was that evening that mm-hmm. that those uh, three mayors came out. And you want to talk about energy? Oh my gosh, there was so much energy there. I actually the former city auditor came right up to me and started dancing. She was so excited about this. Oh, my. I was walking past a table where they had sign-up sheets for volunteers, and I saw some pretty big names on the volunteer sign-up sheet. No, oh, this is interesting. And I paged through. I said, well, where are the blank pages? He probably had about 30 pages with 15 names each of people volunteering. So people who were there who said that they want to put boots on the ground to help him become mayor, I thought, wow. Wow, that, that's right. That's that, energy. I mean, it it was energy. There was a real palpable excitement, and I just couldn't imagine. Um, maybe I need. Well, maybe Charlie needs to have a launch party <laughs> to see to get that kind of energy. I just have a feeling it would probably look like a a meeting of the Pearl District Building Owners Association. His donors. His donors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have to be sad for Charlie. Well, that goes back. But, remember the street fee when his. I remember. You do? Yes, I do. Well, one of his famous lines that he said over and over again when we were talking about things like putting stuff on the ballot, he said, well, will you be willing to put on a raincoat and campaign for a new ballot measure? I thought, you know, Charlie's not the kind of person that people put a raincoat on and campaign for. Well, that's true, and and it's evident by just the glee in your voice. (laughs) Exactly. You know why I have glee? Because he, he hatched this cockamamie plan for a demolition tax. The idea is that if you're going to take an old home and demolish it and build a new home on the same property, you'd have to pay $25,000 to the city. This thing just blew up in his face, almost in in a laughable fashion. And he was just kind of staying there adrift in his boat, bouncing on the waves, trying to oar his way to shore. Well, I think it follows along the lines of a, a lot of the policies he's tried to implement, which was come up with an idea, write it on the back of a napkin, 
go ahead and call the press conference, tell your fellow council members on the way to the to the press conference and not really flesh out any ideas or vet it with anyone or see if it's actually workable and then kind of have to backtrack when you get there. I mean, that happened with the street fee and it's happened with other issues for him. And, you know, he is someone who likes to think big, but he also thinks very, you know, kind of too fast for, you know, getting in public input. And I think that there is some kind of public input he's still looking for on that um, demolition tax, right? Despite the backtracking? Well, I just, yeah, well, there's a lot of pushback. He's the guy who comes home every day after having a hard day at work and is looking for a dog to kick. And I think he's... Don't be mean. Why? why? He wanted to kick these developers. I don't know why. And he doesn't realize that when you are taxing, um, you're not taxing the developer. You're actually taxing the person who owns that property. Right, but it was a very interesting thing that he came out with this at the same time that his support comes from developers. So it's very bizarre. It was very strange, and it didn't buy him anything in the end. So well, here's my suspicion: why this happened is because he's got an embarrassment of riches of money from real estate interests. I mean, it's just a huge. I mean, it truly is a mountain of money from real estate interests, and it's getting to be a little bit embarrassing because that's pretty much where his money comes. More than half of his money comes from that. And he's got to do some sort of at least show that says, oh, no, 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 I'm not bought and paid for by these guys. Well, then he got what he wanted out of uh, making the statements, you know, for the press of the $25,000 tax. And now that it's backtracked, he could at least say to his... And now he could just die in committee and say he, he, he tried. Right. You know, I'm going to go back again and say, you know, it's a hard thing to be a politician and and not everyone's cut out for the job. And I think that Charlie isn't going to probably make it to the next through the next election. And um, it's not like he didn't try, but he has not made a lot of friends either. He hasn't made a lot of friends. And again, I see that energy. Wow. That it really was just kind of surprising. I I think even Ted Wheeler was a little surprised (laughs) by the amount of energy. What's Ted been saying this week about policies he's thinking about? Well, finally, you know, the joke we had a couple weeks ago was it was, you know, two rich white guys who used to be Republicans who were racing to be the most progressive. And now we're starting to see a little bit of daylight between these two candidates. And what's it look like? Well, uh, the first is on homelessness, right? Because uh, Charlie Hale says that he has a, a plan to spend $20 million of money that we never knew we had uh, to fight homelessness. Uh, Ted Wheeler, I think, has said now that uh, Charlie hasn't shown where that money's coming from and has come up with his own ideas, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is he's thinking about using our urban renewal money, taking our urban renewal money from a 30% set aside for affordable housing to 50%. Would that increase any taxes at all on us, or is it being collected already and he's just going to divert it? And divert it's the diversion. Okay. It was already diverted, and before it was zero, and then they moved it to 30, and now they say 30 is not enough. They weren't even making the 30 target. Now they say they want it to be 50. There's been some pushback. Some people have been saying on council have been saying that 50 is too high. So I don't know where that is. Uh, going to go. So is that the money that goes to the PDC otherwise? And and they do their their projects like in Lentz and things like that? Uh, is that the money that we're talking about yes. when we talk about affordable? So 
That seems to be, in my mind, when people are screaming that the city has too much money, they always followed up with the PDC has a huge, you know, big fat bank account. So why wouldn't we take 50% of that and put it into affordable housing? Why don't we take 50% of it and put it into roads? Done. 50-50. Done. We solved two problems. Right. Well, there you go. So, but then, I mean, are there any laws against that? I mean, any kind of regulations that have been built up about where they spend the money? Well, they can't spend it on operations. They can't spend it on maintenance. They can only spend it on new projects. But so there's... not roads, then? Well, I think you can characterize a lot of road projects as new. I think you can characterize a lot of them as being um, part of bringing up the urban renewal areas, too. I mean, they well, when you look when they funneling it in, in that way. If you look at some of the most recent urban renewal areas, they, the city itself identifies roads in, in disrepair as one of the things that contributes to blight mm -hmm. that triggers the urban renewal area. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it disingenuous when our city commissioners say, oh, our roads are blighted, and so therefore we should have an urban renewal area, but we can't use urban renewal area on roads. Is that a federal law that, that says that? State law, State law. Well, they could lobby that. And, you know, Ted Wheeler has some experience on the state level, so maybe that will – maybe he'll know some people. Maybe he has some friends. He can get some help. Well, it's, I was pointing out during the, the testimony on the, the demolition tax, it, for Charlie Hale should know a lot more about housing and real estate because he has some experience with – the home builders. He was their lobbyist for six years. <laughs> you would think that someone who spent six years lobbying on behalf of home builders and developers would at least have some understanding of how real estate markets work. And I, I think he does. I it doesn't mean is. doesn't mean he's going to act in the way that we'd like him to. It's like that scene from Shawshank Redemption where the the warden says, "Are you being obtuse, sir?" And it's, I think sometimes maybe Charlie plays a little obtuse. You know, that's the best movie ever. Well, it's easy to watch. Everyone should watch it's it. It's on every day, every hour. <laughs> I, I Just got to look for it. I don't have cable. <laughs> so so when we're talking about that, what else did, um, does Ted Wheeler have? And street, he, he wants to do what with street repair? Well, he's talking about a, a gas tax. He hasn't really talked about much, but he likes the gas tax. I think he has pretty much indicated the street fee proposal is pretty much dead. Well, him. yeah, I'd advise him to say that, too. But, you know, the, the gas tax, as much as everyone's in love with it, I still buy the argument from the very beginning that it's a dwindling resource, that even if you could get a $0.10 a gallon gas tax now, that people are going to be having more fuel-efficient cars and that that's going to be less and less money. So it doesn't really solve the problem, although it does help a lot. So, I mean, I would still support it if I were supporting that tax. I haven't really decided, but but I think that, that that conversation should be a little bit deeper. But we're getting some daylight now between these two. I'd like to see more. You know, I would love to see both of them have three or four things that they could come out and say, these are my priorities, and this is how I differ with my opponent on it. You know, I would love, you know, we have to say streetcar every episode, so we'll talk about the streetcar. <laughs> my idea, I think, is brilliant, is... You know, I'm not completely anti-streetcar. I don't think that we should rip up the, the rails and throw them away. 
But I think it's time to wean the streetcar off of the public purse. And I would love to see a mayoral candidate say, you know, here's what we're going to do. The streetcar seems to be doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it's time to take the training wheels off. I say within five years, we should make that streetcar either be self-supporting or roll it in with TriMet and be part of our regional transportation network rather than something that is subsidized, subsidized to the tune of $4.5 million and growing per year by city taxpayers. You know, I never understood why it was owned by the city and not TriMet. Because TriMet doesn't want it. Well, because it's a money loser. It's a money loser, and it's not a transportation improvement. Okay. I mean, it's a it's a lose-lose all around, but it's very nice, expensive art. And it's now it's there, so something has to be done. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I call it the, the cruise ship of transportation. You know, a, a cruise ship is slow. The point isn't to get you there fast, but you're supposed to just kind of enjoy the ride while you're on it. That's <laughs> what a streetcar is. It's slow, it's kind of pretty, uh, and... Some people enjoy the ride. Well, you know, what I've been saying for the last few years is that it's very old paradigm to put things in the ground that are supposed to be semi-permanent because we did have a streetcar once upon a turn of a century ago, and uh, we had to rip those all out. And sometimes you even rip out streets now and find old rails and and, uh, tracks for that. I, I think that when we change technologies and change our minds and change our city layout all the time, that putting something in the ground that that permanent is really not going to be permanent and we won't get our you know get our money back well out. this is one of the things that i laugh about because i'm always accused of being a conservative but when you look at the portland the most progressive city on the west coast or at least they'd like to they're way more conservative than that i mean they're they're, they're almost reactionary instead of new transportation models like uber and lyft they want to go back to old transportation models like streetcars right instead of having New employment paradigms, like having people driving for Uber and Lyft, they want to go back to old transportation paradigms where you have some monopoly provider that has union employees driving around in clunky old cars. It's just so astounding to me how reactionary our progressives are in this city. It's funny, when people ask me about the podcast, I say that you are conservative, but not as conservative as you could be, and I'm liberal, but not as liberal as I used to be. Oh, I'd like to talk to those people. I'm curious. As you used to be. Oh, that's funny. Okay. You're you're a bad influence on me, Eric. (laughs) So what else happened this week that we need to talk about? Oh, well, now if you're a landlord, you have to give 90-day notice for, what are they called? No... No cause eviction. No cause evictions. So yeah, you yeah. used to be a landlord, right? I used to or be a slumlord. Land- Me? Yeah. No, I was a good landlord. You're a good lord. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was a, not a good lord. Well, the opposite of slumlord would be good lord. No, right? I was a good landlord, I believe. Um, and I think that treating people fairly who live in your home is important. I worry about tying the hands, though, of landlords. And putting the burden of what's going on in our city by that are created by policies of the city, um, for example, the way they've managed Airbnb and the way that they've overdeveloped, and and that placing that on small mom and pop rentals is is not really fair. I understand why they want to do it and why they've done it because there's a lot of people who are turning over rentals very, very quickly so they can maximize their return through Airbnb. I think a better a better option would have been going straight to the heart of the why 
the housing crisis is happening and rather than tying the hands of small small landlords. So I'm a dumb dumb here. What is a no-cause eviction? You know, I think it's if you just want them to move and uh, you don't, they haven't done anything, they haven't violated any agreements, um, but you can ask them to move. For example, if I were moving back into a house that I'd once owned and rented out later, then I would ask them to move. And they, it's not through any fault of the, of the tenants. They haven't damaged anything. They haven't given me cause. Now, what if I own... So do you see what I'm saying? Well, so, I know. So say I'm thinking there's not many no-cause evictions. Well, there are today because people are turning them to Airbnbs. But, but what happens? But there are legitimate reasons. If I own a home and I'm going to be away for a year and I rent it out and I come back and it's unexpectedly, um, but I have still gone month to month, I may want to to access that house again and, and live in it for my my own purposes, and I can't now if I have to give ninety days. So you could see some instances that it would harm people. But would a sale trigger it? So, like, let's say I have a house and I'm renting it out right now, and I decide to sell it, and we say, oh, we can close in 30 days. Do I have to actually wait 90 days, or is that actually a cause? Is that? I don't know. See, my my thinking is is that there's not many people who are evicted for no cause. That when you see an eviction, there is a cause. You're violating the pet policy. You're violating the drug policy. You're uh, smoking in the unit when your agreement says you're not supposed to smoke in the unit. I, I can I imagine that there's a lot of ways to evict people without triggering this no cause, no cause eviction thing. So my point is, I think what's happening is this is just another one of those things where they're passing a regulation that sounds really good but doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. And there may be a little bit of harm, a little bit of foul, but probably not in the not big in the grand scheme of things. But it just makes them look like they – the city always wants to be – seems like it always wants to be a partner in your enterprise. They yeah. always want to be sitting there in the back seat of your Uber car. They want to be sitting in the living room of your rental unit. They want to be sitting on the lap of your business. Don't go crazy. That's – I think regulation is important. There are reasons that we have laws. Laws are meant to protect people. People are being harmed by today's rental market. The question is, how do you fix it? And having a regulation from a city is a a good thing because that's why we have government. But to have them do the wrong thing... It, you know, it's not going to be helpful. So they have to be very careful. And it seems, you know, that they've chosen this way of 90 days. And I, I understand why they did it. And I can I can get behind it in some ways. But other ways, it makes me concerned that they are, rather than fixing the problem, going to somehow corral it in another area by putting it on the backs of, of small landlords. But that was a small victory. Small victory. So, good week, bad week. Charlie had a bad week, but this was part of a good week that mm-hmm. he had. Uh, there was another commissioner who had a, a bad week, uh, someone who we normally don't talk about because he's normally half asleep uh, throughout <laughs> most of the city Eric. council uh, meetings. Uh, but this week, Dan Saltzman woke up uh, and uh, decided that the most important thing today was to create what he called a green light district. In, what was that? I, you know, I briefly heard about that, but I didn't understand it. Oh, so what it, was it was so quick that if you were, if you were, if you're probably a, a, a green district person, you probably were, 
you couldn't even wake up in time for it to see it come and go. This, uh, it was a wild idea. Uh, right now, we have current, the current rules say that recreational marijuana dispensaries can't be closer than 1,000 feet of another one. And so Dan Saltzman uh, said, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we should have um, downtown, we should change the rules and allow more of them, you know, like allow them to be on every block because we might have all these tourists what? who are coming down. And, you know, and it's funny. So, you know, some places have a red light district. We could have a green light district. And the idea is that, you know, all these tourists will come buy their pot downtown. And, I mean, it's really, really what? On the one hand, it sounds harmless, but it's really stupid because the next question sh- someone should have asked him is, and then what do they do with their pot? Are they going to go smoke it downtown? Are they going to smoke it in their hotel room? Are they going to smoke it in the parks that have no smoking? Where, well, that is a really good question. Or are they going to hop on the plane if they're tourists with their bag of weed and take it back home and have the dogs barking at them at their home airport? So he's obviously taken a sheet out of Charlie's playbook and and uh, announced something, and then we all thought about it afterwards. But this was so dopey, even <laughs> dopey. The, it was so dopey that even city council wouldn't have anything to do with it. He okay. it goes in and they pro- are not the litmus test of something being no, a good idea. The, or not. No, they are because when it's so bad that. Even city council won't even consider it. You know you have hit the limits of dopiness. What happened was then Saltzman comes in with this proposal, and normally in city council, as a courtesy, someone will second a motion just so they can have a conversation. He puts the, the measure out, the, it was an amendment, puts the amendment out there as a motion, and there were crickets. No one wanted to second it. No one wanted to say, finally, again, good week for Charlie. To his credit, Charlie Hales Second in the motion to give them the courtesy of having a discussion. They had a small discussion. They voted, went down in flames, four to one. Okay. You know, it. It. do they not talk to each other beforehand? I know They're they, not allowed to. They're not allowed to talk in a group. Three of them equals a quorum, right? But they could have a little, I mean, they have sidebars. They also have staff. And they have staff. <laughs> so one would hope that after the next election. Well, maybe they're dysfunctional. Isn't that why they have to have a, a, a mediator, right? Didn't they have some mediator they come in? A, they did have a mediator. obviously didn't help. What's next, Eric? What's next? <laughs> well, speaking of uh, mediators, Amanda Fritz is known as kind of the, the grown-up mediator, the mom on city council, and not in a pejorative way. Um, she has attracted, finally. Potentially. Uh, potentially. Uh, 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 an opponent to run against her. And... I'm saying that just because it's good to have some sort of competition. It's kind of shocking that you have uh, someone who's been, um, you know, elected twice and is not facing any opposition, and someone who, unfortunately, is in a fairly, I think, a fairly weak position. Doesn't have much to really point to in terms of of achievements. Well, she did get the bond for the parks passed. Yeah, but that's, I mean, come on. No, well, I could get a bond for the parks passed. She worked hard on that. Give her some credit. She, uh, did that's, that. she didn't have to do anything to get that to pass. You know, I was at a couple of meetings where she was talking about it. I think that she went out there and canvassed for something that she believed in. But her real crowning achievement was the Portland's paid sick leave, which was such a disaster that she went down to Salem and begged the state to have a paid sick leave deal so that the city wouldn't have to run it because it was such a nightmare, a bookkeeping nightmare. But it's good. So now we've got uh, uh, Jody Stahanichik, who is a, a Portland attorney, a divorce attorney, 
she's, uh, I guess, a very good Portland divorce attorney. So good that the story is, is that if, if you think your spouse is going to divorce you and possibly hire her, they will come in and just have a conversation with her real quick, pay her like 500 bucks so that, so that the spouse won't hire her. She's so good that people try to ice her so they won't represent the spouse. <laughs> That's scary. Is that true? That is true. You heard that. I Googled it. Well, I will say that in the news reports online talking about her potential run, people have strong opinions about her. And well, that'll make a fundraise. I don't know that that will. So when Mary Nolan went up against Fritz, Nolan was not particularly a sympathetic character, and that was her downfall in a lot of ways. You know, Fritz, you know, no matter what you think about her, people know that she cares and cares deeply about the city, and whatever her style, you know, our issues with her style is, or her management style of her bureaus, the people still believe that she cares. And Portland likes nice. So unless this new person comes up against her and is nice, then I think that it will be uh, another replay of the Mary Nolan race. Yeah, I actually went to an event where it was uh, Fritz and Nolan had a meet and greet. Yeah. And uh, they were both actually very nice. I was kind of pleasantly surprised by Mary Nolan, but... uh, but I was always turned off of her based on her behavior in the legislature. She was a very nasty person. Right. And it doesn't matter if they're, I mean, they could be, I mean, maybe this Judy is very nice in, in real life as well, but she's just ruthless in, in her business. But I think that we've seen time and time again that Portland tends to adopt almost our city council as reflections of ourselves. And we see each, we see ourselves not as ruthless East Coast types, but we see ourselves as Portlanders. And we want someone who's equally, we want them to be effective. We want them to govern well. We want them to have great creative ideas, but we also want them to care. And I'm going to caution that anyone who runs for any of the seats this, uh, this election cycle you know, Ted Wheeler obviously is showing us that. He has a nice style. People know he cares. He's competent. And I think that will go a long way to getting him elected, which we, we could predict that now, couldn't we? Um, but anyone who goes against Fritz particularly is going to have to be very diplomatic and kind. Yes. And uh, I think, you know, to wrap things up, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that uh, Charlie Hales is out yet because Charlie is winning the fundraising race. He's up by about 40% in terms of raising money o- over Wheeler. But Wheeler has a chance to catch up. Fritz, you know, could be in trouble if someone could come in there and raise money. Fritz is notorious for not being very interested in raising money. It's not something she likes to do. Um, I you don't know, even think she likes to politic that much. I mean, she doesn't like to do the events as much. She may be just a shy person. And she might be shy. I've seen her at plenty of events, but she's not a real um, flesh presser. It's hard to say that. Yeah. Flesh have, you, have you heard anything from Fred Stewart lately? I haven't seen anything. I haven't in seen there. Fred. So uh, I guess that's the state of the elections on today. And that's that. So, you know, Some had a good week, some had a bad week, and we hope you had a good week, and we'll see you next week. Excellent. All right, TuesdayMemo.com, right? Download on iTunes. Download on iTunes. See you later.